Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect, neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Hebrews 13, and uh, we're continuing our study through the book of, of Hebrews. And I imagine that everybody in this room have moved one time or another in their life. Even the littlest in this room have probably moved. <clears throat> and you know how, you know how when you move, you've got this, you got this plan, right? Like we're going to move out by the end of the day on Saturday. The house is going to be empty, and you get to the end of the day, and you start walking through rooms, and you've got a sock in this room, and some shelf in this room, and something that's forgotten in this room, and. And you're like, I thought, and then you forgot the shed in the back, and you got all this stuff that you got you to gotta now find one final load to get, to get home, or to get to your new place. Hebrews chapter 13 kind of feels like that. It kind of feels like the last items. Chapters 1 through 12, we've, done, we've dug deep roots. The author of Hebrews has run deep, deep roots into the, the supremacy of Jesus over everything. Deep theological doctrine that, that we can hold to, cling to as, as believers. That, that Jesus is better than no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what we encounter, no matter what religious activity we try to go back to, that Jesus is better. And then we get to chapter 13 and it's kind of this list of do's. Do this, do that. Show brotherly love. Maybe a better illustration is is, is some of you are, are, are at the age of, of Jamie and I, well, we're finally at the age where, where we can leave our kids at home. It's really great. Now, some of you who are younger than us or have kids younger than us, it's going to be awesome. Nasons, it's going to be great. I promise. It's coming. And some of you guys are older, and you can kind of remember, and, and kids in here, those teenagers, you guys know exactly what I'm, what I'm about to say. When mom and dad get ready to leave, when Jamie and I get ready to leave, we get to the door and we have like these last couple instructions, like important ones, like be sure to turn the oven off when you're done. Pretty important. Don't kill each other. Very important. This is last, last few instructions, and that's probably a better illustration of Hebrews 13. These are, these are very important things. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to read the beginning of chapter 13, where he begins to give us some very important instructions. And I'm going to read it again for you guys, and you guys read along as, as I do. Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for therefore, or thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Now, like, like the, the, the mom and dad illustration, uh, those aren't the first times that mom and dad have given those instructions. It's not the first time where I've said or mom has said, be sure to turn the oven off when you're done. Don't kill each other. Be kind to one another. Take care of each other. It's not the first time we've said that. And the instructions here in Hebrews chapter 13 are the same. In Hebrews 10, uh, the, the reader reminds us to show love to one another. In Hebrews 6, he does the same. In Hebrews 12, he does the same. So this isn't something new that he's just, just 
came to his mind. I want to remind you of this audience, though, the, 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 the Hebrew audience, the people that he is writing to. These are, these are Christians, Jewish Christians, who are under great persecution, either at this moment or headed their way. Things are getting tough. Life is getting very difficult. They're, 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 they're wavering in their understanding of this Christian life. They're questioning, is, is Jesus really worth it? Or, or can I go back to this religious belief where, where the, 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 the law, and I just follow the law, and I just make sacrifices, and that's better because I can understand that. But this Jesus thing is really, really hard. I don't quite get it. So I'm, they're, they're wavering in, in understanding that. And this, the life is getting really difficult. And truthfully, it's, it's not much different than our lives today. Things are hard. Things aren't easy. Our culture and our, and our world is becoming anti-Jesus every single moment of every single day. They say, well, we live in the South. We're not experiencing that. We are experiencing that. Just look around. I, I, and, and hear me, I don't want to overly romanticize the difficulty of our life when, when our brothers and sisters across the world are being persecuted and suffering and giving up their lives for Jesus. I just want to admit that, that life is difficult, and for our brothers and sisters, it is very difficult. And life in general, as we live out this day, is, it's a grind. Life isn't easy. It's tough. And then when you throw in Jesus, we're Christians, believers have to follow Jesus and follow him, and, and we're living for somebody different we're not living for ourselves anymore. It becomes even more difficult. It's tough. And we know. We can look around. And we can look around at the world around us and know that this is not how God had, had planned it. This is not how God designed this world. Things are broken. Things are messed up. And if you don't believe me, what's that yellow film on your car? I'm sure that's not part of God's plan. We can argue about it if you want later. I, I am fighting the pollen right now. I'm at war against pollen. It's a war zone. But seriously, though, in, in, this, in this life, a lot of us in here, a lot of us in here feel that burden that life is hard. Right now, maybe life is incredibly difficult. You feel this barrage of, of bullets flying at your head, constantly flying past your ears, zoom, zoom, zoom. A loss of a family member, a, a loss of a job. You can't, you can't contain or control this sin. You're losing the battle against this sin or you're the sins in your life. You're, you're, there's a struggle in your marriage. You can't get that promotion. You feel that, that promotion that, that you know will make your life better. No one respects you. They don't, they don't respect you. They don't respect the message that you're trying to proclaim. You don't have enough money to pay your bills. Nothing seems to go right, no matter what you do. And for you, it truly does feel like a war. It truly does feel like bullets are flying past your head. And in these moments, we got one of two options. In these moments, we have, we have one of two, or, of two options. One, one, one option is it, it sends us to Jesus. It sends us to him. We cling to Jesus. We cry to Jesus. Jesus, help me. Take over. Take, take control. I can't handle this. I need your strength to help me. But the other option that we tend to go to is we retreat. 
is we take cover. We hide. As the Hebrews did, we, we go back to what, we're, what we know, the, the, the religions and the traditions that we, that we understand. See, see, one option, option one is Christ-centered, is Christ-exalting, is Christ-honoring, and the other is man-centered and man-honoring. One, one you, you'll make it through because Jesus is enough and Jesus is better as our sermon, as our sermon series title, the book of Hebrews. The other is, 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 is uncertain how it will end. One gives you strength to endure. The other one won't. The, the, the readers of Hebrews, they were headed in the wrong direction. They were headed in, in the direction of, 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 of self-preservation, of retreating, of hiding, going back to what they know. If I can just do that, I understand it. It's easier. It's simpler. Which is why we have Hebrews 13, where it talks about brotherly love and hospitality and taking care of those in prison. Think Think on your life right now. Think, think about you're in the midst of a war. Bullets are flying at you, one thing after another. And you're becoming weaker and weaker. You're becoming, you're giving in to, to the temptations of, 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 of self-worship and self-loathing and, and self-preservation. And you're, 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 you're getting weaker and weaker and fear and uncertainty is building up and it's dominating your thoughts. The, the pain that you're experiencing is, is threatening the peace that you once had. Do you run to Jesus in those moments? Or do you retreat and hide and take cover? Do you run to Jesus who in Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, He being Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the, power, by the word of his power. By his very word he is holding the world in his hands. The existence of everything we see is by Jesus' words. Do we run to him or do we run to the traditions and the understandings and ourself that we, that we, that we get? When we are bombarded with struggles and difficulties and troubles, no matter what they are, no matter what level they are, the writer of Hebrews says to continue in the midst. Continue. Don't take cover. Don't hide. Don't retreat. To continue with brotherly love and show hospitality. In other words, the way to survive isn't self-preservation. The way to survive isn't hiding, going inward. It's community. It's people. That's how we survive. That's, that's how we survive is, is the people around you, your brothers and your sisters. And that's countercultural. That's not what we're taught. It is in community that Jesus grows us to be more Christ-like. It's in community where our sin is revealed and it's brought to light. It is in community where we, we learn our prejudices. It is in community where repentance is displayed, where repentance is practiced, and where repentance is encouraged. This is countercultural. 
Community is important. It's necessary. And the writer of Hebrews says, continue in community. But see, our world is set up perfectly to retreat. Think about it. Now here, I'll say it and then I'll give my... We have Netflix. We have Hulu. We have Amazon Prime. We have iTunes. There is no need to leave our house. We can be entertained for days upon days upon days. We have huge TVs. And if you heard that in the Donald Trump voice, you're welcome. We have PlayStations that we can just, and Xboxes that we can just play for hours. We have chairs that give us massages when we're getting, our muscles are tired. We don't even, a study shows that we don't even go to sporting events anymore. Why would we? Everything is better on TV. Attendance has dropped across the board on all major league sporting events, including NASCAR, which I don't know if that's a sport, but we'll talk about that later. (laughs) Everything, attendance is down. Why? Because everything's better on TV. We don't need to leave our house. We've created comfort castles with with tall walls and imaginary moats around them. We've made our homes fortresses and sanctuaries. I know what you're thinking. Or some of you may be thinking, well, I live in Midtown. I can't do that. I don't have tall walls and fortresses and what you're talking about. Why not? Because you park on the street? No. Sure, you go home, you close the door, you pull the blinds down, you're out. You're in your fortress, your comfort castle. Now combine that with the fact that we've lost our ability and our skills to have conversation because of the phones that you have in your pockets. We look at those more than anything else. We're losing the ability to dialogue. This is no wonder why a report in, in 2000 said that the, 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 skill and the, yeah, the skill of entertaining has dropped 45% in the last three decades. We don't invite people into our houses. We don't invite people around us. And all of that, that's infiltrated our churches. It's infiltrated the people sitting in this room, the people standing in this room, the guys talking. Now you combine these three together. You combine the struggles of life and the difficulties of life. And you combine with that the comfort castles that we've created that we can just go home and disappear And you combine with that the fact that we're losing the ability to communicate with one another because we're so focused on this this digital amazement in our hands that, that we don't look people in the eyes and talk with anybody anymore. You combine those three, we got like a perfect storm of not looking at people ever. Think about it. It's no wonder we, when, when things get tough, we go inward. So how does brotherly love and, and hospitality help us? Well, first, let's, let's first go back to where brother, the brotherhood comes from. In Romans 8, verses 14 through 17, should be up on the screen. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All. If you know Jesus, if you are born again, if Jesus has saved you, if you've repented of your sin and you're a follower of Jesus, you are a son of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Ephesians 1 says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We are family. We are family. We are part of God's family and we have been adopted through Jesus Christ. That's where the brotherhood comes from. That's where the family comes from. So when verse says says verse 1 says let brotherly love continue this, the writer is, 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 is as if he's saying, I've seen it. I've seen you do it. And I also see what's happening. I see the trouble that's coming your way. Keep doing it. Keep going. Keep loving one another. Now, this isn't an earth-shattering thought. The Beatles have a song that says, all you need is love. So... I'm not saying anything new here. And everyone would agree, yes, we need each other to continue. It's a good thing. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 says, For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. See, we're, we're talking about brotherly love here. This is a little different. And it's a mark of a Christian. Jesus says in, in, in John 13, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Stop there. Okay. Deal. Verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, the world around us, the world around you will know that you are a follower of Jesus by the love that you have for your fellow believer, your fellow brother and sister in Christ. By the love that you have for one another. The unity that you have for one another. Not how well you sung on Sunday morning. Or how much money you gave to the church. Or how dedicated you are to reading scripture. Or how loud you proclaim the gospel at, at the office park, uh, uh, picnic. By the love you have for one another. This brotherly love, this phileo love, there's, there's an affection to it. An, an affection to it. We like each other. We stand with one another. We're going to be with you through thick and through thin. You'll need somebody at your side to hold you up at some point. That's brotherly love. You need somebody to stand with you. That's brotherly love. Let brotherly love continue. Don't retreat. Don't hide. Don't give up. Don't take cover, but continue. 
This is the encouragement that the writer of Hebrews is giving to the, to the readers of Hebrews and us this morning. Don't take cover, but continue in brotherly love. Stand with one another. Verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Like the, like the last things list that mom and dad give when they're walking out the door, when they, when they leave, there, there, there's a reason why we had to say that. You know, there's, there's a reason why we, we feel like we have to say, hey, don't kill each other. Because it may happen one day, just by accident. There's a reason why we have to say, turn the oven off. Because most of the time they don't remember, even when we tell them. There's a reason why being hospitable to strangers is in here. We just have to dig. Because when things get hard, when things get tough, when we're, when we're feeling being fired at, we certainly aren't thinking about other people. We're thinking about survival. We're thinking about how am I going to get through this? But hospitality is a mark of a Christian, just like brotherly love is. And it's about those who are the family of God with brotherly love and those outside the family of God, those strangers. Hospitality is measured by who you open your life to, not how much you do it. Leviticus 19, verse 33 and 34. When, stranger, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land... You shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is a command given from the Lord to the people of Israel. Take care of the strangers. Love the strangers. Treat them as he is one of yours. Different, but pretty clear and straightforward from God to the people of Israel. Likewise, to us, we have a clear command in Hebrews, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Hospitality is shown to the person who is not like you. Turn to Luke chapter 7. It won't be on the screen, so you need to flip there if you want to follow along. In Luke chapter 7, we have this this story, starting in verse 36, where Jesus is invited to Simon, the Pharisee's house, for dinner. And Jesus says, yeah, sure, I'll have dinner over there. So he goes over there, he sits, he, he's there, and all of a sudden this woman comes in. The scripture defines her as a woman of the city, so probably a prostitute. And she, 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 she goes to Jesus and she starts washing his feet with her tears. She anoints his body with oils. And she constantly is touching him. She constantly has her hands on his feet. Constantly, she knows who he is. But to Simon, the Pharisee, this woman is like an infectious disease. He wants nothing to do with her. Nothing at all. He's repulsed by her, by her appearance, probably by her smell, by who she is in society. This is not a woman that, 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 that Simon wants to be a, 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 with at all. 
And here's Jesus, who is this teacher who, who the, the, Simon is trying to figure out who he really is, is allowing her to touch him. Now put yourself in Simon's seat. Does, does the fact that she can't keep her hands off of Jesus bother you? Is it, is it scandalous as you read this? If you're in, if you're in there and you're, you're in Simon's place, do you want her to stop? Are you embarrassed for what is happening? Because it's, it's your house, remember? It's your place. You've invited Jesus into your home. And this woman of the night, woman of the city, comes in and basically ruins the show. The show that you have put on. Are you embarrassed by this? Are you, are you becoming repulsed by her outward display of worship that she can't keep her hands off of Jesus who, who is there? Or do you celebrate God's grace? Do you celebrate the love that Jesus is showing her? The fact that she knows who he is and that he is sitting with her and he's not embarrassed. He's not trying to protect himself from her. For Simon, God's grace in this moment has made this very uncomfortable. He's not sure what to do. He's, he's repulsed by the whole situation. He wishes that she would just leave and this whole thing would be, would be over. But isn't that what God's grace does? Isn't God's grace uncomfortable sometimes when we really think about it? Doesn't it disrupt our world? Doesn't it shake up things that we live in, our comforts and our, our, uh, our social circles? Sometimes, isn't it just disruptive? Because of God's grace, we must not look at people as problems. Look at her as a problem. Look at this woman who comes in and ruins the show. She has messed up my plan. We can't look at people and who disrupt us as problems that need to be handled, because that's what Simon did. And like our instincts tell us, a lot of times our instincts will tell us just to take cover, just to leave, to walk away, to avoid at all costs. Especially people who aren't like us. Especially people who have been pushed to the edges, who are marginalized from, by the city, by, by whatever it is. We want to take cover. We want to avoid them. They aren't, they aren't like me. They can't relate to me. I can't relate to them. Why should I spend time with them? This is what Saint Simon wanted to do. Every bit of religious instinct in Simon said, I am better than she is. And I wondered how many of us live just like Simon. They're a problem and I can fix them. They're a problem, and I can help them. They're a problem, and I'm going to avoid them. See, we must have a firm understanding of God's grace. His saving grace. In this story, Jesus ate with her. He allowed her to stay. He wasn't embarrassed of her. Jesus ate with sinners. 
He isn't embarrassed by them, and he's not embarrassed of you, and he's not embarrassed of me. He invites us to dine with him at the Lord's Supper and to dine with him at the, at the final feast, the, the great celebration with Jesus. And that's by no merit of our own. We haven't earned that. We haven't deserved that. We didn't deserve the invite. We are no better than this woman of the city. And yet we, we tend to think that we are. We tend to be Simon way too much. Remember the last part of Leviticus, verse 34. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You were that woman. You were different. You, were a, you did not match. You did not line up with what God had laid out for you. You could not follow the law. You broke every single one of them. You were an alien. You were not of this world. You were a stranger. The irony of this story is that, is that this woman in Simon's house was the one who showed hospitality, not Simon himself. She's the one who showed hospitality. She gave of herself selflessly. Verse 40 in Luke 7 says, And Jesus answered, or answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my head with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. There's a big difference in our, in our hearts when we view people through the lens of grace. There's a big difference. Hospitality is, is, is expected as she showed, as she gave, as Jesus allowed it to happen. We, as Christians, have to be hospitable. It is a true mark of a Christian. Hospitality isn't just something we do. It comes from who we are in Christ. It becomes a, comes from our identity of who we are in Christ. And it goes much deeper than providing a meal for somebody or inviting them into your home. It is inviting a stranger or strangers into your life. Not just a moment. Although maybe it is just a moment. It's inviting them into your life, risking the safety of your comfort to serve another. Christians should be the most hospitable because we've been shown the most hospitality through Jesus. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still strangers, Christ died for us. If you look around your circles, 
if you look around and you truly look with an open eye and, and everyone looks the same, and I, I don't mean just the skin color or ethnicity, I, I, I mean the same money, the same demographic, the same kind of house, the same kind of profession, the same skin, the same class, you're probably not being hospitable. If you don't find yourself in uncomfortable situations, not uncomfortable that you've created, but uncomfortable that Jesus has created in your life, you're probably not being hospitable. If you don't have people in your home ever, you're not being hospitable. See, but it's not an option. It's not something we just say, okay, now I'm going to be hospitable. Hospitable. Now I'm going to be really nice. I'm going to invite people into our home. No, it's about the heart. It's about understanding the grace that you've been shown through Jesus. It's not an option. We can't retreat to our castles, stay inside, ignore the world around us, and expect to be glorifying Jesus in that life. It doesn't work. That's what we've been created to do, and it does not work. We can't do it. He didn't save you to make your life more comfortable, or most comfortable, even. He didn't save you to get, get really good at binge-watching shows and playing Fortnite. Now, I'm going to hear about Hulu and Amazon Prime and Netflix and Fortnite. He didn't save you to make lots of money and spend it on yourself. He didn't save you to be the best collector of trinkets. He saved you to love others in word and in deed. He saved you to use your home for His glory because your home is His anyway. A few Novembers ago, our home was broken into, and uh, praise Jesus, they didn't get a lot. But I remember getting the call from, from Jamie, and uh, she got home, I guess, 2.15, 2.30, something like that. And she calls and says, hey, I think we've been broken into. And, uh, and you know, of course, everything in me just, like, I don't know, I was, I was getting my, getting, <laughs> I don't know what I was doing, but I was, like, everything was not normal. My heart rate went up. I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know. What did they take? I, I feel vulnerable. I feel like this is, uh, I, I, I feel dirty. Like, how could this happen? I feel like I did something wrong. Like, all of those feelings. Well, that, it was a Wednesday that it happened, and I got home about 2.45. I was, I was nearby. And uh, it was Wednesday, and we had MC that night, and it was going to be our Thanksgiving dinner. We were going to have people over and, and just have a big uh, Thanksgiving dinner. And, and we had a choice to make. Do we, do we have MC that night and pretend like nothing happened? We had actually three choices. Do that. Do we cancel MC because we just had our house broken into and we're a little unnerved and it's really tough? And, and the, or the third choice is, do we have MC, and do we tell people about it, and do we invite the community into what had just happened? And, and, and we decided that the best thing, what we needed, was to have MC and invite the community into it, to let them know this is what happened. Because we could have easily, everything was in the bedroom. Everything out in the open was cleaned up. The bedroom was a mess. We could have hid it, hidden it all. And I'm not telling you this to say, hey, look at the stewards. They got it all right. I'm telling you this because we knew the, mess, the best thing for us was to go into community instead of to retreat. 
The best thing was to go into the, 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 the brotherly love and the hospitality moments that we've created because that's where we were going to get healing. That's where we were going to get growth and where Jesus was going to take an uncomfortable, vulnerable, weak moment and grow us to be more Christ-like. He saved you he saved me to make, our, make his name known, to glorify Jesus. And when we link arms together in the most difficult of times, when we show hospitality to the strangers, we make Jesus known because it is the only logical explanation to that activity. Jesus is the only logical explanation to why we do it. See, strangers tend to make things uncomfortable. And that's God's plan. It's in the uncomfortable that he shows us our need. It's in the uncomfortable that he shows us our sinful thoughts and our prejudices that we didn't think we had. It's in those uncomfortable moments that he shows us what to repent of. It's in those moments that growth happens that maturity happens, that Jesus becomes more to us, that he becomes better. Not when, when, when we're in our comfort castle, surrounded by our moat, with the high ceilings, hiding from the calling that God has on our life. See, when we look down on or avoid people because of their smell, because of their lack of education, because of their clothes, because of their, faith, their professionalism, because of their laziness, because of their social ineptness, we are like graceless Simon. When we view ourselves as better, like we got it all together, we've arrived, like Jesus needs me, he needs my service. When we view ourselves that way, we are like graceless Simon. Simon has not experienced forgiveness because he hasn't experienced need. He doesn't know his need. He, doesn't, he didn't know what he needed. The woman has been forgiven because she knows her need, and her need was Jesus. Hospitality is a doorway to introducing people to their need and for you to rediscover your own need over and over again. Hebrews Second part of verse uh, 2 in Hebrews 13 says, For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now the writer is most likely referring to Abraham where he entertained the three strangers in Genesis chapter 18. The idea that, that those who we show hospitality to, to may indeed be angels, strangers that may be angels, I don't know what to do with that. I've just broken a huge pastoral preaching law or rule. I don't know what to do with that. But here's what I do know. Is that I want to experience it. I want to take part in it. God visiting us with angels. We may not even know that until we get to heaven. I want to know. I also know that there's a seriousness to this. There's a seriousness to being hospitable. Are you being hospitable? Am I being hospitable? 
Jesus says in Matthew 25, and it's not going to be on your screen, so listen carefully. He says, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. It can happen. I don't understand it. But then, in verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? In other words, When did this happen? I didn't see you. If I would have saw Jesus, I would have done it. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's a seriousness to this. Jesus commands it. Hospitality is also practiced in how we serve our brothers and our sisters who are being mistreated. Look at verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Don't just think about them, but show empathy. Place yourselves there. Help them. Serve them. Prison was a lot different back then. See, the, the prisons weren't like today where all their needs are taken care of. They get showers and food and exercise and all that stuff. It wasn't that way. They were dependent on the loved ones, their family, to feed them and to care for them. And he's telling us that that if we're going to be family, that we're going to have family who are imprisoned for the faith. Those who are persecuted and those who are in trouble and the family cares for one another. We care for one another. The church cares for each other. Some of us, some of us in this room are imprisoned. But some of us are imprisoned by our comforts and our belongings. Some of us are imprisoned by our prejudices and our securities. We think we're protecting ourselves from confrontation or a struggle or danger, and the reality is is that we're forbidding Jesus to change us. We're forbidding him to, to, to grow us and to change us because we are not... Entering into that. Does that mean we sell everything and move into the hardest areas? No, absolutely not. That's not what hospitality is. Hospitality is opening your life to strangers and caring for one another. Our brothers and our sisters who are in Christ and those who are not yet. Hospitality is welcoming, it's opening, it's loving, and it's providing for needs. See, we've bought, the, we've bought the lie that our comforts and securities do all that. That's the reality. I know life is hard. It is, it's tough. It is a grind. 
And some of us are, are, are in the hardest of times where we're, we're feeling that barrage over and over and over. Do not retreat. Don't take cover. Don't hide. Continue showing brotherly love. Continue running towards community. Caring for the strangers around you. Jesus did it for us. Jesus was hospitable to us. He even endured the hardest of moments. His father punished him for, the, for our sins, the sins of the world. This morning we're reminded of his hospitality. This table in front of us with the bread and the juice is a reminder of how hospitable Jesus was and how hospitable he is. He invites us to celebrate his body that was bruised, his body that was broken for us. He invites us to celebrate the blood that washed away our sin. I'm going to invite the band to come up. They can partake in the Lord's Supper. When we, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're celebrating Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. We're celebrating his hospitality. We, 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 we take the bread and, and we tear it. We tear it to, to, that represents his body that was hung on the cross for us. His body that was broken for us. His body that breathed its last for us. And we dip the bread in the juice that represents his blood that, that washes away our sin. And we eat just as Jesus invites us to do. Eat with me. His hospitality is unmatched. His love is unwavering. His grace is uncomfortable and it is glorious. But there's a warning to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is for Christians. It's for people who have repented of their sin and chosen to follow Jesus. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you are not a Christian, do not come to this table. It is for believers to celebrate what Jesus has done to worship through this time. If you're not a believer, what are you worshiping? Little bread and a little juice. I'm going to pray for us, and you guys come as you feel led. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us and for your word. I pray that your word will stay with us. Your word will direct us. And God, that you will give us the strength, the know-how, the ability to repent of our inhospitality, not loving strangers, not loving our brothers. And God, that you would help us to endure and continue in brotherly love. Help us to run to community to be encouraged by community, to be strengthened by community, and ultimately, to be glorifying to you through community. Thank you for loving us and for your son, Jesus, who is our king and our savior, and whose name is above all names. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.